This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Coming off a big high like that yesterday, it's about kind of getting back down to earth, yeah. focusing on, on what's to come because we haven't done nothing yet. You know, we've still got a long way to go and Ukraine will be a tough game uh, in a different different stadium, so a different experience, one we've not had yet in this tournament. So, um, yeah, it's just important that, that we just focus on that now, you know. Like I said, we have a vision of where we want to be and it's not just winning them one-off games, one-off knockout games, it's going all the way. So, um, yeah, we've got to make sure we recover well now. The boys are training who didn't play, training hard, um, and we're going to need everyone if we want to go far. I mean, we've just got to make sure we're ready for everyone. Uh, I think their greatest strength is their team, unity. Um, we need to be ready for that. So uh, we know that if we play to our highest abilities and mentally, then, then we should have enough to win the game. Um, but it's knockout football, anything can happen, so we've got to make sure we're ready. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Harry Kane speaking after the Germany win. Looking forward to the Ukraine. It is quarter-final weekend. <laughs> what a tournament it has been so far. Possibly the best ever Euros. Copyright trademark. We'll, we'll leave that up to the guys to discuss. The guys being Bob Holmes. Hello, Bob. Hi, good to be here at the quarterfinal stage. Has it been as good for you as it has been for me, Bob? Well, <laughs> I think so. I, <laughs> I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah, it's been great, not just from an England point of view. Uh, but uh, I think overall, it's been a cracking tournament. So uh, let's hope the finale uh, lives up to it. Yep, indeed. Craig Marais is also here. I know he's enjoyed every single minute of it. Hello, Craig. Hi, Ross. Um, what a tournament it's been so far. Maybe took a little while to, to come to life, uh, but when it has, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic and uh, can't wait for the quarterfinals. It, it was all about that magical Monday, wasn't it, Des Corkill? Yeah, the, the teams have actually tried to go out and win games in the knockout stage. It's really come to life in the, in the knockout stages. Um, massive overreaction in this part of the world to the England win. It's, it's, it's like they've won, won it already, if you, if you believe people. So um, let's see what Ukraine can bring, huh? Majority football fans are a bit, you know, you know. And, and social media is like uh, trigger happy. And um, yeah, anyway. Speaking of social media, tweet us individually or tweet at BFM Radio. And also follow us on, on uh, Facebook and on Instagram. It's BFM Football. Right then, we heard Harry Kane at the start. We'll talk about England later on. Let's go through the quarterfinals, chronology, cr- uh, the way they're supposed to be played. <laughs> it's Friday. My mouth is not working properly. Um Switzerland versus Spain comes to us from St. Petersburg. Um, let's start with the Swiss. Uh, I'm going to hand them to you, Des Corkill. Unquestionably, underdogs, when, when they went into that last 16 clash with France, when Paul Pogba scored to make it 3-1, you really thought it was over. But what fight from, from the Swiss. Um, amazing comeback, a really amazing so this is the culmination of uh, a Swiss uh, junior team, the under-21s, who 10 years ago did very well at a, a UEFA competition. And uh, we've, we've been kind of expecting something from them, not, not to go and win tournaments, but to be competitive at the latter stages. And what they did in the last 10 minutes against the French was uh, prove that they, they, if you go forward, 
if you try and take teams on, if you attack uh, the so-called superstars, um, then you can you can get at them and you can score goals. And uh, Gavranov- Gavranovic was, uh, got the terrific equaliser. I don't think anyone's spoken about what a terrific finish it was into the bottom right-hand corner under yeah. such pressure. But the, the, it was the reward for them having a real pop at the French in those last 10 minutes. And also, I've got to say this, the arrogance from Pogba after the goal, you know, the, hey, we've already done it pose, it infected the whole of the French team. They thought they were there. This is football. You cannot treat uh, your opponents with uh, that kind of disrespect. And it was disrespectful to do that at, at that stage. And so the Swiss, to me, I'm, I'm a big fan of the underdogs anyway. They came back and then they, they pull it out. Feel sorry for Mbappe. Nobody again has spoken about the brilliance of the save. Everyone's talked about an Mbappe miss because that's the way we focus. We don't look at the, the skills of the so-called smaller club nations, uh, etc. We look at the, the superstars and what they've done wrong. It's a magnificent save by Sommer. It is arrogance from the French. It is great drive from uh, uh, Switzerland. However, Granit Xhaka will be missing in the quarterfinals. He is the heartbeat of the Swiss. Uh, Arsenal fans might not like it. I've been a huge fan of Granit Xhaka for a long time. I think he's a leader for his uh, yellow card, and he knew it at the time. His yellow card could well be the difference between them uh, uh, providing another upset and going out to the Spanish. Ignoring the football and concentrating on the gossip and the stars a bit more. <laughs> there's, a, there, there's some big underlying stories. We, I, I won't bore you with them regarding Kylian Mbappe's dad, um, Paul Pogba's mum, Adrian Rabiot's mum as well. Yeah, so maybe that's why the French went out. Um, all right, Switzerland. They, well, who can count them out after what they did to France, really? But the Spanish, Bob Holmes, are firing at present. 5-3 um, success over Croatia, taken to extra time, but they just put their foot down in extra time. And, and it was so, so nice to see Alvaro Morata bang one in. Yeah, uh, the team that couldn't score have scored 10 in two games. Um, but that's football, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> and Maratta, yes. Uh, what I liked about it was you could see the way uh, the high opinion the, um, his teammates have of him when he, when he went round, you know, when he was taken off and uh, everybody cheered him. Um, and in the previous game in uh, Seville uh, also, uh the same thing happened so you hear this stuff in social media but actually the majority of of fans and all his teammates were very very supportive of him so it's good to see that and i think that shows that spain do have quite a team spirit here um they probably don't have quite so many stellar names as they had before when they were all conquering champions of europe and the world but they have a team and they're going to be difficult to beat. And they seem to be clicking at the right time as well. And I'd have a bit more hope for Switzerland had they not pulled off quite such a heroic win in the last round. I think that's got to take something from them. Uh, obviously, Xhaka um, being a man of the match, the inspiration and everything, he's a huge miss. And uh, but I think, you know, lightning can't strike twice in the same place kind of thing. Uh, 
asking them to to beat another highly fancied team again without their main man just a few days after having done it um, is probably a step too far. So, uh, you know, I think Spain should win this comfortably. I'd just like to say that Switzerland, you know, although it's right in the heart of Europe, they have traveled the most of any country, 15,000 kilometers and counting. So the, the idea of them being knackered from jet lag and in and out of hotels and immigration posts and what have you um, doesn't seem to be holding up, does it? And Wales were the team, the second most traveled team. I think so, Wales would have overtaken them if, it, if they'd well, stayed in. <laughs> if they'd stayed in. Yeah. But um, yeah, remarkable. So uh, what a what a performance and i just like to highlight sefrovic who was one of the early stars of that team that won the actual world youth cup as it was then known um he was reckoned to be a quite a quite a star in the making and like many swiss names he's of Bo- bosnian origin i think switzerland owe quite a bit to unfortunately, to that uh, situation in Yugoslavia 20-odd years ago when so many people left and a lot went to Switzerland. And his his parents are uh, Bosnians. And uh, he was a wonder boy and never quite made it and went to a lot of clubs, never quite clicked, got more yellow and red cards than goals. But finally, he's at Benfica and he seems to have settled down. He's 30 now. And he's, he looks the business, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, he looks does. a genuine striker of, of real quality. So Spain have got to watch out for him. But uh, I, I would say Spain should win this comfortably. Yeah, they're, they're, they're raging favourites, this one. It is a midnight kickoff from St. Petersburg, Switzerland versus Spain. The, the clash of the titans uh, is Belgium versus Italy. It's 3 a.m. It's from Munich. Both nations looking for a 15th successive victory in the competition. Uh, the Belgians, Craig Marias, how good or not impressed have you been? Um, I wouldn't say I've been overly impressed with them, um, considering you know the, the kind of talent that they've got at their disposal. Um, they've, uh, I've, I think the last game, I was a little bit disappointed against Portugal. I expected a little bit more. Uh, from this Belgian side. And maybe that's being a little bit uh, too hopeful and, and expecting too much. I mean, it's the knockout stages after all. It's all about getting through. They did that. Um, but I just think there's, there's something missing in that team. Uh, defensively, I don't think they're as solid um, as they should be. I think they can be got at. Um, and it's a big worry for them. I mean, I look at that and, okay, you got caught flying goal. But then in front of him, it's, it's you know, Alderweireld, it's it's Vertonghen, not exactly rock solid as they were four years ago. Um, and then you've got, you know, the likes of either the Marlin, who, who plays in Japan, um, and you've got Denea. Um, it's, it's not a defence that's going to fill you with a lot of uh, hope. Um, so I think that's the weakness. Add to that, you know, Martinez is not really known for his... his uh, defensive work either so um, it, it's all about how much or how many they can score uh, when, when, when they get to these stages and that is severely hampered by the lack of um, um, KDB and, and Hazard if you if you read the reports yeah. uh, neither of them trained last night so it is a bit of a worry um, for Martinez going into this match it's such a big match um, against a side who have 
you know, arguably been the best in the competition so far. Um, you know, Italy, I think, have surprised many. Um, I think Bob did tip them at the start of it, to be honest with you, uh, to, to, to be the dark horses of this competition. So they've, I think they've lived up to that tag. Um, for me personally, they've been the best one so far. But Belgium, uh, without, um, without Eden Hazard, without Kevin De Bruyne, I worry just a little bit. I know they've got capable players that can come in in their place. Um, I'm not disputing the fact that they do have quality, but they don't have that kind of level of quality that, uh, that Eden Hazard and, and Kevin De Bruyne bring to that side. Yeah, it has to be said. Uh, the Italians are, are the more eye-catching side, uh, certainly in, in their run to the quarterfinals. But they needed extra time, Des Corkill. Fred Federico Chiesa, Matteo Piscina uh, scored in extra time to send Italy through. I mean, we've heard that Belgium missing De Bruyne and maybe Eden Hazard as well would be massive for them. I, I, I was reading it might be uh, ankle and thigh injuries, so they can't be taken lightly. But then the Italians, do you think the subs have played themselves into starting roles or, or do, do, you, do you not tweak the winning formula? He's been very consistent throughout all of this win and that he, he loves the Baradia Mobiles in, in, in Sydney to start. And it's kind of like he's bringing on a second forward line around about an hour into the game. It's the modern way with the, the five substitutes and the six ridiculousness. Once you get into extra time, you can change literally half a team. And that's what he's doing. He's playing, he's playing uh, that front three for an hour. They're, they're buzzing around and they're causing all kinds of problems, supported from midfield um, uh, by a, a combination of Verratti or Barella or... Um, uh, uh, who is the boy who scored the, the goal? Um, the, the boy... Yeah, Locatelli. Locatelli so they, they've, yeah. got, they, they've got all, all that um, attacking prowess. Italy and Belgium were my, my two picks beforehand. Um, Italy and Belgium, though, have conceded the same number of goals. And the only goal Belgium have conceded, um, they've been very, very solid defensively, apart from that uh, first-minute error by uh, in, in the game against Denmark in that highly charged match where they came back largely thanks to De Bruyne. But they've also got the, 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 the beast that is Lukaku. If they can feed Lukaku, if they can feed the beast, the beast is good enough to take on Chiellini if he's fit and uh, Bonucci. So I, I don't think this is um, quite the Italian uh, victory that I think many are predicting. I think Belgium could push them all the way. If De Bruyne can play half an hour, if De Bruyne can get on the field for uh, not start, but come on for the second half or so, then I think uh, they've got a chance. Uh, they miss De Bruyne far more than they would miss uh, Eden Hazard because Hazard hasn't quite... Um, he's not been part of the Belgium team for a while, so it's, it's a bonus that he's coming in, but they've missed De Bruyne. But Italy to struggle, Belgium to take this for me. Ooh! It, it is literally the, the clash of the titans, Bob Holmes. It's the final. But, it should be the it, final. It, it should be. I mean, that, that the second part of the draw is just crazy heavy. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, the first part of the draw. So, Bob, who are you leading to? Belgium or Italy here? It's a tough one. Yeah, Italy. Um, I think the uh, likely absence of Hazard and De Bruyne probably swings it. I mean, I think that uh, Roberto Martinez must have been dreaming of Kevin De Bruyne's laser-like diagonals splitting Bonucci and Cellini at the back and Lukaku running onto them. Um, and that doesn't look as if that's going to happen, uh, unless perhaps for 10 minutes or so. 
I think uh, if I was, I don't know, the state of uh, De Bruyne's injury, but I think he'd have to be in pretty bad shape not to be on the bench for a final throw should he be needed. Um, Hazard, less important, as Des says, but he's got a kid brother, hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> he's actually got many kid brothers. <laughs> well, he has, and the youngest one is supposed to be the best of the lot. But he's he's only about 14. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, great goal, wasn't it? Great goal. But uh, no, they're, I, I worry about the Belgian defence, and uh, I think that... Uh, Italy have got something a little bit different. They've got a great team spirit. They haven't got the big superstars. You know, with the Italian teams, we used to think of uh, the guys from Milan and Juventus. Now they've got three from Sassuolo, <laughs> which they used to be. Most, most people, I think, have never heard of them. They used to be in the well, almost permanent residence of Serie B, and, but they got promoted a year or two ago. And now they're providing three players, including Locatelli, to the national side. And I think the fact that Mancini has drawn from so many different clubs, uh, there aren't the cliques, the, the traditional cliques and all that that uh, Italy used to have. A great, great team spirit. It, it's obvious to everyone seeing them. And they play like a team. And then there's this interchangeability, which Des mentioned, and Mancini seems to be handling it all very, very well. And when you look at Roberto Martinez, as Craig said, you know, not renowned for defensive attributes. And I think the two managers, I would go for Mancini. If it, if it comes to a tactical battle between the two managers, I would, I would say Mancini would come out a winner. All right. Italy's last defeat came against Portugal in September 2018. Belgium versus Italy is 3 a.m. from Munich. We're off for our first break. Back talking about the dark horses. Yeah. And there's the tap in. for Belgium. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Now it's Schick from range. Oh, it is a thrilling goal. It is one of the great Euro goals. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Here we are, Bob Holmes, Craig Marais and Des Corkill previewing the Euro quarterfinal weekend. Um, yeah, no sleep for two more days and then you can sleep as much as you want Sunday <laughs> or oh, Monday. Don't worry about it. Uh, Czech Republic versus Denmark uh, are the two dark horses, two unfancied sides. Uh, it's the Sunday midnight kickoff. It takes place in Baku in Azerbaijan. The Czechs, Craig Marias, saw off Netherlands 2-0 at the weekend, which was a big surprise result. They, they have momentum going into this. And in Thomas Hollesch, um, he they have a pretty good striker. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a surprise, uh, this. Uh, I don't think the Czechs themselves expected them um, to, to get this far, uh, but they have. Um, like you said, it was a bit up, big upset last weekend. I think it was... Uh, obviously aided by that ridiculous uh, decision to to handball it and and um, by by the lip. Um, do, do you reckon uh, Patrick Schick's Do you reckon Patrick Schick's half halfway line goal just set the checks off? It was literally that moment the check run um, started. 
I mean, when you look back at it, maybe, but then they lost to England straight after that, didn't they? Um, And then, um, and then, you know, in this match, you know, I think just before that uh, delete incident, you you had that uh, Malin chance where, you know, one-on-one with the keeper, you've got to be finishing that at this level. Um, Was it a red for you, you know? Oh yeah, I'm in mean 100% for me. Um, I, I think there is a bit of a there is some contact, but I think the lick goes down. He knows what he's doing. He, he, you know, he whacks the ball away. I think it is definitely the red card. Yeah. Um, and it's a, just a ridiculous decision like that that has cost his country. They've gone out. Uh, it's cost the ball his job because up to that stage, I mean, we're looking at Holland and we're thinking, well, you know, we, we didn't expect Holland to do this um, coming into the tournament. They weren't great they haven't been great um under De Boer but um you know it seemed to kind of click for them um once the tournament started um and then obviously that red card just changes everything it's it's yeah. like I said you know it's knocked his country out it's cost the boys job um and, and you know the Czechs are, are, are laughing and smiling and uh, they're into the next round so uh, here they are um it, it's it's a tough match you know I think uh when, when they look at it I mean at this stage of the competition there's no easy matches um and I think Czech Republic will be aware of that um I don't think there's a lot in it between them and Denmark um but just the fact that Denmark obviously have that emotional um you know the emotional thing to to kind of spur them on in this tournament i think that plays a major factor um however you know people might might deny it i think it, it there's obviously something to it but i think this would be a really cracking match i really do i think it's two two countries two teams uh they're about on the same kind of level um and it's about which one turns up on the day you know i, I think denmark um uh like czech republic have you know players that can make a difference in this match. You know, you, you talk about Holes, uh, I think, you know, he's, he's really come to the fore yeah. um, in, in, in the last game. But then, you, you know, you're ignoring your, your shicks, you know, Suchek. I mean, we've, we've not even talked about him in this yeah. tournament. Uh, probably doesn't have the same kind of role that he does at West Ham, but he's still a threat nonetheless. You know, the Captain Dorida you know, has been immense as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they have plays that have stepped up, you know, yeah. probably not talked about as much as some of the others. Uh, but collectively, as a team, I think they, they, they've done really well. So um, I think this will be a, a really cracking match. Five of the last six fixtures between these sides have ended all square. But as Craig pointed out earlier, Des Corkill, this Danish side is fueled on emotion. And they, they also happen to have really capable players. You know, and, and a good manager, a good team ethic, and, and it's all clicking for them at the moment. Yeah, they're, they're, they're solid. I, I won't say the absence of Christian Eriksen helps them, but it, it certainly uh, it means there's no superstars. It means they've got a focal point that they generally... They, they've had nine players who've started in, in, in all of the games so far. Um, um, it'd be an interesting one to see whether or not um, uh, Kasper Dolberg keeps his place because Yusuf Poulsen is available for the yeah. uh, match against the Czechs. But defensively, they're solid. Kier, Vestergaard and Christensen, you think individually, if you get at each of them as a group, they've been solid. Kasper Smeichel's good. Delaney and Hoiberg have, have, have been incredibly functional in midfield. Braithwaite and Damsgaard have worked hard and created chances. So they've not, they've not set the world alight. And yet, they've scored eight goals in their last two games. They beat Russia 4-1. They beat Wales 4-0, although I felt for Wales a, a little bit. Um, um, I was hoping Wales could upset Denmark. But you know what? They progress through, and I think they go into the match against the Czechs as as very much favourites. Um, 
because of the emotion, because of their solidity, and I think because they carry a goal threat, be it Dolberg or Poulsen, with support. I, I think they, they want to win games more than the Czechs do. So um, mm. for me, Denmark uh, to, to take this one, but gosh, beyond that, it's difficult to see them going into the finals, but they've done it once before, haven't they? Yeah, they have. <laughs> Q1992. Um, Patrick Schick needs one more goal in this tournament to join Czech great as their all-time top scorer in the Euro finals. Who is this Czech great I'm talking about? Jan Koller. Milan Baros. Milan Baros, my word. Hey, hey. Nobody was here great. Just for that tournament. Yeah. <laughs> it was in inverted commas, Bob. <laughs> but okay, this one, this one is probably the hardest quarterfinal to call, Bob. Uh, which way are you leaning? Uh, Des says he he's in Denmark. What do you think? The, the Czechs have just been written off in every game. Yeah. Uh, are you writing any checks off? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Denmark uh, are, are on a roll, and you, you wonder whether they can keep this going. But uh, the fact that they did so famously and won the tournament, um, having come off the beach in about 1980-something, wasn't it? 92. Uh, 92, 92. Um, shows that you can keep such a thing going for seven games, six or seven games. That's all they've got to do. Um, so, yes, they, they have that spirit. They have that unity of purpose. The only thing is the, the fact that the game is being played a long way away. Um, it means that the number of fans won't be quite uh, as high as, as it could have been. Uh, it's in Baku. Um, there won't be many Czech fans there anyway because you don't see that many, except at Wembley, there are a few. Um, so they won't have really the support of the crowd, I don't think. But I think they've got enough uh, themselves. Um, they are actually ranked 10th in the world. I was surprised. I, I actually thought that Czech Republic might be ranked higher than Denmark, but it's nowhere near. Czechs are 40th in the world, which, and when you remember that England beat them 5-0, a couple of years ago. It shows that they've made some improvement um, to get this far. Um, but I was looking at Schick, and of course he's been one of the stars of the show and scored the goal, which almost certainly will be the goal of the tournament. But he's not scored that many in the Bundesliga. Um, he's only scored 22 goals in two seasons. I mean, it's, it's not bad, but it's not earth-shattering, is it? You might have expected more. And you wonder whether anybody will come in for him with a big check, um, you know, at the end of the tournament. Um, perhaps not. Uh, that doesn't always work, does it? Gerard Houllier tried that after, after a certain World Cup when he was managing Liverpool and Arsene Wenger has done it. Mm -hmm. um, United did it with Karol Paborski, remember? Yeah. On the strength of one goal. It was a wonderful goal. But, you know, he was a flop. He wasn't a bad player, but he flopped like to United. I like <laughs> Most of your fellow United fans <laughs> thought he was a flop. Yeah. Anyway, back to the game. I think Denmark have got enough about them. Um, they can score goals. And I think they've got uh, strengths in important areas. I mean, you've got a very good keeper in Kasper Schmeichel. Uh, Hoiberg um, has shown that 
Jose Mourinho can still spot a player. Um, it was it was a bargain buy for Spurs. I don't know how come he was missed, but he's a very very good player. He's been outstanding in this tournament, um, and uh, I, I think they just have a little bit too much for the Czech Republic. But that said, it could be a very good game. Yeah. I mean, on paper, on paper, this looks like the one to miss if you're going to miss one, but. I actually, having said that, I think it could be a very, very close game. And But I take Denmark to just edge it. Martin Braithwaite's late strike against Wales was his 10th international goal and the first at a major tournament for the Barcelona forward. Still sounds weird saying it. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going into the break now. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, England. But we'll try and keep our heads. Stay tuned. Damn score! Brilliant! Lift off for Denmark! On the ball on BFM 89.9. Back to Grealish again. England could be in here. This over Saka. Sterling, they are in here. Sterling at Wembley again. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we all are. Craig Marais, Bob Holmes and Des Colkill joining me this lovely Friday evening. Lovely because it's football on tonight. We're previewing the Euro quarterfinals. It has been a top hole tournament, as they say in the business. Um, Tweet us. Find us individually on Twitter or tweet at BFM Radio. Uh, also, follow us on social media, BFM Football on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Ukraine versus England takes place in Rome because all roads lead to Rome. <laughs> uh, who's who's going to do the Ukraine? I, I think I'm going to give the Ukraine to Des Corkill to start off with. Um, Andrei Shevchenko has gone under the radar. Uh, Des Corkill, um, you know, um, no, no one fancied him before. Even now, I, I kind of forget he stayed, he's their manager. But he's a Ukrainian great. He, he scored goals for fun. He really did. And somehow he's dragging his country through this tournament. Uh, I wouldn't say dragging. Uh, maybe I would actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they are surprised, but they have players who score goals. Uh, Yarmolenko, I think, has been very, very impressive. Um, the Yeremchuk uh, also up there. Um, uh, the Dzinchenko goal against Zinchenko. the Swedes was, was top draw. So, so they've got players who who know where the where the back of the net is. They defend um, not particularly brilliantly, but they're if if you can stereotype, there's ruggedness about U- Ukraine. Um, I think they've got to be concerned, though, because England have already won this competition. I think that's clear for everybody to see. You may as well just hand over the trophy when the teams meet in Rome because it's a surefire conclusion. At least all of southern England, most of Malaysia, vast swathes of Southeast Asia have gone for that. Um, Ukraine, you would expect England to beat them. England have got better players. They, they played at a, at a better level. There's a, a, a good team ethic about England, but Ukraine, a rock-solid team. I was just talking about how Denmark have been very consistent in their lineup. Ukraine have been exactly the same. They've uh, played the same back four right the way through. They played, uh, they've played. they just made one change in central midfield up front in support of Yarmolenko and Yeremchuk. They've uh, changed things only very, very slightly. So they've got a, a, a team that they believe in. They've, they've dug out wins against Sweden. Uh, they, they, they had that comeback against the Netherlands. They dug up the win against North Macedonia. On paper, this is straightforward England. But Ukraine, 
the, the consistency that they have, probably the fact that they are the underdogs, the fact it's not being played at Wembley, which will take away the atmosphere that did surround that, um, uh, that, that Germany victory. Those, those things could point to a potential upset. I'm not saying there will be an upset, but you're right. Somebody like Ukraine off at your peril, because England will be expected to go and beat and take on Ukraine. Ukraine aren't expected to do anything here. The whole logistics have changed or the whole perception of the game is very different from the, from the German one where everyone was, uh, for England, was worried about whether or not they could get over this, this mental block. Uh, now, honestly, I think many people in England, and I was just reading today, Jack Grealish uh, out with a quote saying, it's scary how good we've become. And you immediately go, don't go there. <laughs> don't do those kind of things. Because that is just setting yourself up to fall. Yeah. yeah, well said, Des Corkill. Ukraine's only previous quarterfinal appearance at a major tournament ended in a 3-0 defeat against Italy at the 2006 World Cup. Um, straightforward hasn't always played out in this tournament. And that is why this tournament has been so very good for England. Many questions, Craig Marias. Obviously, well, no, it's not obvious, but it was five at the back against Germany. Uh, Southgate might well revert to four at the back. Uh, England have to dictate this game. They are also away from Wembley for the first time in a tournament. So we'll see how travelling actually affects them. But tactically, how do you see this one playing? Of course, the clamour for Jack Grealish to be included in the starting eleven, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Yeah, um, I think that's what exactly what they, they revert back to uh, a back four. Um, I think, you know, the flexibility in which Southgate can go between the two formations is a major plus um, for England. You know, I, I can't remember in previous, uh, you know, with, with previous managers rather, um, this being, you know, able to, uh, us being able to be, do that, you know, uh, we, we kind of set up depending on the opposition, which is, I, I think is a major, major plus. Um, yeah, the Jack Grealish thing is a bit, it's a bit of a weird one, you know, because he's, uh, you know, everyone's clamoring for him to be in the starting 11. And, and I get that. I, I really do. But him coming off the bench and making the kind of impact that he does also has something to it. Now, uh, you know, I'm sure Jack Grealish wants to play every game. You know, he's, he's the talisman for Villa. Um, you know, he starts every game as long as he's fit. But you know, in a side like this, I think, you know, with the likes of, I mean, Sterling's undroppable, Kane's undroppable. It's just that one position in the attack, which is which is more or less up for grabs. And you've got like four players going for that position. Um, you've also got to remember, you know, Mason Mount is back, um, back with the team, back training. They didn't really have um, a, a lot of training leading up to the Germany game. If Man, any. Man, Man United's new £75 million man hasn't had a run out yet. Yeah, yeah, he's he's come off the bench for a few minutes, but he's not started a match. Um, like like I said, you know the depth uh, that England have is scary. We know we haven't even uh, started to mention about Phil Foden, Marcus Rashford, and all that. You know, uh, but it's that one position that most of them are going for. Um, I I'd like to see Jack Grealish start. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think he deserves it. Uh, he played really well uh, in the game against Czech Republic. Played really well off the bench against Germany. Um, and, and yeah, I think you know. He, you know, form like that, it should be rewarded and, and he should be getting a start. Um, it, I mean, I don't think this is a, you know, I get what Des is saying. I think there's a lot of um, hype and, you know, the expectation level, uh, not only in England, but in other parts of the world has increased with England. 
Um, and rightly so, though. Um, you know, there, there is a reason for it. <clears throat> we, we haven't just beaten a, uh, an average team. We've beaten Germany. Um, and with performances like that, you, you expect. Um, uh, and when you see, you know, some of the teams that have gone out in the competition already, you can understand why, you know, the, 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 the path to the final is kind of there for England to take it if they really want to and uh, if they can step up. Uh, but now it's all about how they handle the pressure. And, you know, I like the confidence, you know, uh, that Jack really shows in the interviews. You know, it's like they're ready to take it on. You know, they know the expectation before the before a ball was even kicked. Um, you know, England were joint favourites uh, to, to win this tournament. The expectation level uh, has always been there. The pressure's always been there. Them beating Germany doesn't change anything. You know, it's yes, it's a decent draw for them. Uh, and the players know that. You know, I think Southgate, straight after the match, was fantastic when he came out and said, you know, we, we've done the job against Germany. The focus is now on Saturday against Ukraine. Yeah. Um, so, so he's got them down. He's got them level-headed and... Uh, you know, they have to do the business. So there's no two ways about it. I said earlier on, you know, um, every, every game is tough from here on there out. And that's because, you know, teams like Ukraine have got nothing to lose. They're going to come at England. They're going to attack England and, and rightly so, yeah. you know. Um, and, and, you know, as we've seen in this tournament, we've seen upsets. So um, England have to be at 100% in this. They can't do anything less. Yeah, uh, let's hope the squad are level-headed. I, I don't think they can do anything about fans and, and commentators. Sorry, I was going to just mention about the yellow card issue that England have as well. Yeah. Um, uh, Kelvin Phillips, Declan Rice, Harry Maguire, I think there's someone else, all on yellow cards. If they, Phil Foden, if they get booked... But do, do, get doesn't booked, it get wiped they, after this round? Yeah, but if they get booked, they miss the semi. Oh. They'll miss the semi. They'll be available for the final. So okay. they will get through this game. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, English overconfidence is is another opponent, but uh, Gareth Southgate actually received a lot of bad press just for that lineup. Bob Holmes against Germany. Everyone was saying negative. I even read some tweets saying, "Oh, he he picked a lineup for a draw, but but got a win." <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah, he loses even when he wins. Eh? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, he, um, he is very cautious by nature. I think uh, he's the ideal manager to dampen expectations right now. So that's a good thing. But I think the reason, one of the reasons that they are so high is the draw and the fact that this is virtually a home tournament for England. I mean, it's hard not to not to call them the host nation. I mean, if they if they go all the way, they will have played six out of seven games at home at Wembley, and now that for a tournament they're not officially hosting, that is some advantage. So there's only this game, one game in Rome, which is not a million miles away, um, to negotiate, and I think that the fact that the draw, England have been in the easier inverted commas, half of the draw as well. And if they win this game, they play either Czech Republic or Denmark. Again, not, you know, the heavyweights of the competition. So I think this is one of the reasons, and the play, we'll come back to that, but it's the way things have worked out with the tournament and the fixtures. That has added to this feeling that England can win this. They'll never have a better chance. They never will, because they're not going to be hosting it, hosting it again like this in, in a few years, for many a year. 
and uh, it, it is a huge, huge advantage. But the way they have played, and I think the fact that they got that Germany monkey off their backs was the big turning point. Because until they did that, until the second goal, people were still worried. When Muller went through, there was like a minute silence as he ran through the middle of the England defence. Because he never misses those balls. He never misses. <laughs> and you, you knew, you knew, you know, he was going to put it in the corner and Germany were going to end up winning, you know. I, I mean, and it didn't happen. And it, took, it took a few seconds to believe it, didn't it? You had to look at the screen again to see that the net hadn't moved, you know. And that was the moment, I think. And the second goal, of course, confirmed it. But having got that off their backs, they, they'd removed the curse or the hex or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it was something. It was a big psychological hang-up for the fans as well as the players. They got rid of that at a stroke. And then, yes, anything is possible. <laughs> and I think that is also feeding the optimism. So yeah. I don't think it's all down to arrogance and assumption. All right. It's all set up then for a humdinging quarterfinal weekend. Ukraine versus England is a 3 a.m. kickoff from Rome. Uh, of course, we'll talk about those on the Monday show. We're off our final break. We'll talk about some managerial moves and also the Asian Champions League next. Away from one expected challenge, Grealish goes again. Sancho still with him. Those two have combined really well. It's Sancho with a hit. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Griezmann, Mbappe, Benzema, big chance. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And here we are back talking football. Incidentally, this is our penultimate Friday show of the season. One Ooh. more. I know, but then we have a, a month off and then Friday the 13th of August, we're back for the brand new season. So, yay! Hey. Well done, this. <laughs> he's he's going to charge me for sound effects. You, you wait, you wait. <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur, after uh, uh, showing an ex-rejection rate of very high from managers recently, have <laughs> appointed their first Portuguese manager for three months, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, who of course left Wolves. Uh, Craig, is, is this a good one? D d d do you think he'll feel a bit like eighth choice or something? Oh, much lower than that. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think he's double digits, yeah. <laughs> double digits. I mean, how awkward is it uh, going into a job knowing that they've offered it to about nine, ten managers ahead of yourself before it's come to you? I mean... Uh, I mean, you, you could just see even from the statement from, from Daniel Levy, you know, I mean, it, it, it more or less, if you read between the lines, it's like, yeah, we haven't got our first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice or whatever it is, uh, but we've managed to get someone to accept the job. Um, and, you know, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, for Nuno himself, I think he, he spoke to, was it Palace that he spoke to? He spoke to Everton, um, you know, and for whatever reasons, you know, he turned it down or they didn't offer it to him. Um it, it, it's weird, you know. I just think, you know, going into this, um, he, he's just doomed, you know. The fans will know, or everyone in world football will know, you know, Spurs didn't want to give it to him, but they had to because no one else wanted the job. 
Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Daniel Levy backs him because he needs to back him, you know. Uh, you know, you Nuno did wonders for Wolves, but this is a different kettle of fish. This is this is a team that, yes, it needs a lot of rebuilding just like Wolves, but this is at a different level. You're talking about an established Premier League team now. Um, you know, if we go on his record, he did fantastic for Wolves in the first two, three years, but last season was an absolute shambles of a season for, for them, you know, and... Um, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think he's the right man. It's not what Spurs need right now, in my my opinion. Um, but, you know, I wish him all the best. And uh, let's see. I mean, a lot will depend on the future of Harry Kane as well. Yeah. If he loses Harry Kane, um, you know, he, I think he's got a big, big, big job on his hands. Yeah, that, that is Nuno's first job, is to tie Harry Kane down. Um, all right, rough. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll try it. We'll, we'll get we'll, whether they they the guys think they'll work or not soon. But let's run through the new managers first. Rafa Benitez has appealed for unity at Everton after he was appointed manager. Des Corkill. Um, I, I know being a Liverpool fan, you have a lot of respect for Rafa. But for me, this shows not just Rafa's love for Liverpool FC, but Liverpool the city. Yeah, his kids, um, he, he left his kids in the Wirral, which is uh, south, of, south of the city. Um, his uh, Spanish-born kids have got Scouse accents. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's forever um, been, been widely regarded, uh, not only for what he did on the field for, for the Champions League, and, um, but also his contributions to the, uh, the Justice for the 96, where he paid £96,000 of his severance pay into, into that fund. Um, he's... He's really, really well regarded. It's been interesting watching the, the reaction uh, back in Liverpool on the Liverpool Echo and the journalists there. Older fans like me or old, older, older people, we say, this is, this is fine. We are, Rafa Benitez owes Liverpool Football Club nothing. In fact, we're in his debt because he had to put up with uh, Hicks and Gillette as well. He had to uh, deal with that um, situation where Liverpool were being just ransacked Financially, as Bob's, Bob's excellent book um, t- tells the full story of. Um, so Available at all good bookstores and, and online, <laughs> isn't it, Bob? <laughs> really That's another pint book. I owe you, Des. <laughs> but, um, but so Rafa owes them nothing. And he's a very good coach. He's gone in and firestormed. Uh, Newcastle fans speak highly of him. Uh, Chelsea, who went in absolutely loath, but came out with the Europa League. So he's got success. He signed a three-year contract. Um, Mashiri, I would imagine, has said to him, or Benitez, sorry, has probably said to Mashiri, I'm not coming unless I can be in control, which makes an interesting um, director of football situation for Marcel Brands, the, the Dutchman who's uh, been doing all the hiring and firing. I can't see Benitez taking this unless he's able to take this on as a, a long-term, uh, a, a horrible use of the word, but a long-term assignment where he is able to select his teams, he's able to have a, a say on what goes on behind the scenes and build Everton. And he will hope that he can see them into the, to the new stadium. And I think the older Liverpool fans will wish him best of luck, hope they come second in everything. That's what, <laughs> that's what we he, he will. He will, Rafa Benitez will have big Duncan Ferguson by his side, uh, literally, <laughs> shouting. Uh, but Bob... Um, he, Rafa Benitez once called Everton a small club, so that's a big one to get over. But if he hits the ground running, if they win their first four or five games, then it all will be forgiven, right? 
Yes, um, it's a pity he said that, isn't it? I mean, he's <laughs> since said uh, in his um, statement when he got the job, he's, he called it a great club. So it's risen from uh, uh, small to great uh, without him doing anything and without even winning the Everton Cup because they came 10th last year. Uh, so he has work to do. There are similarities in the situations between Nuno at Spurs and Rafa at Everton in that both are very good managers and very good men, very decent men, and both have actually contributed massively to local um, charities. As Des mentioned, the Hillsborough Fund for Rafa and Nuno, I've mentioned before on the show, uh, contributed to COVID, um, £250,000 yeah. to the city of Wolverhampton. Uh, now that's extraordinary. And then he ends up leaving. Uh, so you're yeah, very good people, but neither seems ideal. The timing for neither. I mean, we, as Greg uh, said about Nuno, you know, umpteenth choice, not ideal. And uh, although Nuno uh, did great with Wolves, he um, he was building from a lower base altogether, championship. And Rafa is uh, also building from a, a lowish base. Tenth for Everton is just not good enough. And uh, following in the footsteps of Ancelotti, um, I mean, Ancelotti was regarded as the man. Finally, Everton had got the, the top-notch manager. I mean, three Champions League wins um, under his belt. But he couldn't do it, despite some interesting signings. So he's got a, a, a bit of a challenge here. And at Chelsea, when he went there and he was unpopular, they called him the fat Spanish waiter. And despite taking them into Champions League position and winning the European Super Cup, they still didn't like him. So you do have this, um, this problem with you know, winning over the fans. You've got to virtually win every game from yeah. the kickoff to do it. And you, with those teams, with those squads, he's, he, both of these two managers have got, you can't quite see that happening. All right. Well, big, big. There's also talk of Patrick Vieira maybe uh, shoring up at, at Crystal Palace. Um, all right. Very quickly, let's cover the Champions League. We're running out of time. Craig Marias, JDT in Group G. It looks like the Asian Champions League campaign is over. Second defeat uh, of the week uh, against Paul Hung Steelers and just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and it just hasn't been good enough. Um, I think we've seen the gulf in, in quality between, you know, uh, JDT, I mean, obviously have dominated local football here in Malaysia over the last few years, but we see that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they, they bridge that gap. You know, I mean, obviously in terms of facilities wise, you know, they, they've arguably got some of the best in Asia, uh, you know, never mind Southeast Asia. Um, but, you know, when it comes to players and, and I think, you know, you look, you look at that team and the quality, I think, you know, Players like Bergson, you know, I think he's, you know, he can easily play at, you know, the highest level in Asia. Um, you know, Leandro, I think he's a fantastic player as well. Um, but I think it's it's the the other positions, you know, where you know they brought in Shane Lowry to, to beef up the defence. He's yeah. obviously played at a big at a very high level um, in England as well as in Asia. But 
you know, it just wasn't enough in the end. You know, I thought they were fantastic in the first game, though, against... Um, and then uh, just crumbled at the end. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it just didn't work out. And, you know, it's... it's I mean, there's a there's a gap uh, there's a gap to be bridged, but it's just how they go about it now. You know, yeah. is it signings? Is it, you know, do they they've got the best talent in Malaysia, but it's the other ones. You know, you know whether it's their foreign signings. Yeah, yeah. And, Agreed. Um, but they're limited in that as well. So um, yeah, I, it, it's sad to see, but hopefully it's a, it's a good learning process for JDT. Um, they'll build on this, and and you know the next year that they're in it, you know they hopefully they'll they'll put up a better fight. Nacho looks good. Should naturalize him. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the, the, the gap very quickly, Des Corkill, the gap Southeast Asian clubs that Craig mentioned is, is very true. Tampanese got, got absolutely tonked 9 0 by, by, uh, by Hyundai, Jongbuk uh, Motors. Uh, wow. And this is without what? Australian clubs as well? So Australian clubs um, decided that their domestic league uh, needed to be finished, so they withdrew. Uh, Chinese clubs have largely been affected by COVID, so have sent under-21 teams, which explains some strange results for Guangzhou yeah. and Shanghai, Shanghai Port. Um, Filipino clubs have, for the most part, been battered. Now, I was really worried about Tampanese beforehand in other shows in, in, in other stations. Uh, Singapore's league has a, an under-23 compulsion. You must play three under-23 players which is great for the under-23 players, but it means it's a weak league. And so that when they come into the FC Champions League, they competed in their opening two games. They weren't, uh, they weren't disgraced. But here, you've got guys who are playing against under-23s suddenly coming up against the likes of Gustavo and uh, uh, Madhu Barrow, who's played at um, a decent level in, in, in England. And, um, and, and the, the gap, Johor at least are close to bridging that gap. The good thing about Johor is we know that they should be disappointed. We know that perhaps they fiddled too much, maybe bringing Shane Lowry in, much as I agreed with it at the time. Maybe it wasn't the right call because it cost them Cabrera and it cost them things further up the pitch. So with Johor, you can see, oh, there's very definitely a work in progress. But Tampanese and Singapore football, even with Lion City Sailors, you kind of go, this under-23 rule has just devastated you. On the, on the competitive playing surface. And that 9-0 mm. was coming. Um, I, I said uh, on, on another show elsewhere that they've really got to be careful about uh, the Jombuk game because they're competitive in the first two. But this is an accident waiting to happen. And my God, it was a train wreck. It wasn't an accident. It was a train wreck. All right. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have to talk about the Asian Champions League. You guys have to enjoy all the football this weekend. It is going to be superb. I'm going to say thanks to Craig Marias. Thank you very much. Thanks to Bob Holmes. I know which camp you'll be cheering for, Bob. Uh, yes. Uh, no need for explanation there, is there? I just hope everybody <laughs> enjoys the, uh, the four quarterfinals. And thank you, Des Corkill. Beware Ukraine. Come on, Ukraine. <laughs> Have a what? great weekend, everybody. What? Be back on Monday. <laughs> I know. What? Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.